The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. New day, new week, new month, and new life in the Fry household. Yes, that's right. We have Eileen Nisi safe and sound. She is sleeping at the moment, actually, as I cut this and figured this would be a great time to do the third installment of our Morning Glory series. I cut two episodes back in May. In the last couple months, kind of pushed the pause button, focused on writing Juby's book. So wanted to keep this vlog series active and ongoing and I believe the intent is to show the significance of being able to suffer for the glory of Christ, how we can grieve to the glory of Christ and how God can use, discuss the way that God can use our grieving and our mourning and our suffering to advance the kingdom and purposes of God. All right, I am back after about a 10-hour delay. Had some serendipitous events unfold, but the silver lining of it all is the two truths I want to share with you tonight that had a chance to marinate through those 10 hours. And so they will be the mantelpiece, if you will, for tonight's content. So we're looking at grief and mourning through two biblical narratives in the Old Testament. One being the 12 spies account in Numbers 13, the other being the account in, I believe it's Genesis 32, when Jacob wrestles with God. We're gonna look at both of those accounts tonight, and I know that you're like, grief, suffering, mourning, what does those have to do, what, what do those themes have to do with those two chapters in the Bible? And well, that's again why we're here. So we'll start with Numbers 13, Again, the 12 spies, I believe we all know the story. We're scouting out the promised land. Ten come back with a negative report. Don't really have that faith in God and unfortunately persuade the majority through their account. Caleb and Joshua are the only ones who are faithful and give a positive account, actually have courage and summon and really charge the Israelites, hey, we can do this. Uh, so we're going to look Again, we're, we're looking at grief through the lens of these chapters. So, starting with, again, Numbers 13, whether or not we realize it, there's a piece of us internally during seasons of healing, restoration, recovery, rehab, or just good old-fashioned suffering in all its forms. There's a part of us looking to scout and assess where we're at. And since we generally need something to anticipate, our idea of promised land becomes the ultimate source of hope in this life, on earth edition, if you will. We know our hope is in Christ. It needs to be anyway. Uh, but certainly we're, it's natural to want to look for a manifestation of that around us, a sign from the Lord, if you will. The million-dollar question is, what is our promised land exactly, and how are we getting there? To answer this question, we have to know a couple of things. Number one, what constitutes the giants in our life? Because as we read in number 13, that was part of the fear factor with the Israelites, with the 12 spies, I should say. They had the, the Nephilim, those huge 
gigantic people, eight, nine, ten feet tall, I believe. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they were massive. And maybe some of them were larger, but they, you know, the, the iconic line from one of the ten spies who gave a negative account were just grasshoppers in their eyes. So clearly there is innate fear in play here. There's some organic apprehensions. I mean, I know I would feel that way, but it's not that being nervous is, is the bad thing. It was that they did not believe God was who he said he was. There was a sense of denying God and really calling him out to be a liar. And that was their ultimate downfall. We're going to have giants in our life. We're going to have the Nephilim in our midst. But what again, constitutes those things. What is God's role, more importantly, in the entire operation? That's part of the conviction. Again, these two accounts are really two separate convictions. I think for most, myself included, we've misappropriated our grief within the analogy, you know, as far as, okay, when we look at the promised land, we, we tend to view it as, okay, this is a finish line I got to get to. I got to heal up. I got to recover. I got to get better. And there's, it's like a race. We take a race mentality. Not that that's wrong, but we just like, okay, I got to get to this end result, the finish line to find Jesus waiting for me. And he, we got to debunk that a little bit, that God is actually with us throughout the race, not just at the finish line. Again, kind of putting a different idea and a different twist onto the story here and its application, we misappropriate our grief within this story. We think the giant in the room is the heartbreak, the depression, whatever's causing us pain and hurt. Really, that's more an elephant in the room, not the giant in the room. The giant is not the grief you're going through. The giant is really the overcoming process. So yeah, newsflash. <laughs> the giant in the room is, is definitely not the grief. Grief is actually a good thing. Now, I probably should zoom out a little bit at this point and emphasize a key point in all this. Pain is a gift. Suffering is an asset. Everything that I say to you tonight, remember, and really bullet point star those points, that's not lost on me, and I want to make sure I'm conveying that with everything that I'm saying. Pain is a gift, and grief, suffering is an asset. So there's going to be some even some raw downloads, I feel like, as I'm talking tonight. So pardon them as they occur. So we got to, you know, when we're extrapolating Genesis, uh, sorry, Numbers 13 to our situation, we have to know what the promised land is. We got to know God's role in it as we journey to the promised land. Um, how does it look in our grief context? What really, uh, as far as the journey through and tackling those giants, you know, how, what does strength and courage, uh, courage look like in our given situation? So we got to extrapolate correctly. The giant in the room is any toleration or stronghold that keeps us from pressing through by faith. I want to repeat that again. The giant in our midst, when we're recovering through grief and suffering, the giant in the room is any toleration or stronghold that keeps us from pressing through by faith. Anything that keeps us stagnant as we walk through hell. Anything that keeps us from wrestling with God, the way Jacob did with the man in Genesis 32 which we'll get to in our second point, foreshadowing. The giants are tolerated. Strongholds that we use as coping mechanisms 
bartering tools to maintain any sense of satisfaction, any sort of self-anything effort, um, any self-dealings, self-centeredness, you name it. Those are really the giants in play, uh, or at least part of the giants. Um, just how we recover the way we want to recover, how we heal. It's really not healing. It's just like we just want to do our own thing. We want to deviate. We want to care about certain things and not care about other things. We want to abandon certain things. Um, it's, it's self-preservation is another one. Um, self-preservation can be good, but a lot of times when we are coping with our own efforts, it's become a negative thing. And wrestling with God, again, is how we conquer them and should not be considered an option in our journey to the promised land. Speaking of promised land, again, we, we, we got to define that. What is it in the grand scheme of grieving, mourning, journeying through pain and suffering? I think for most, we assume this represents a graduation, the proof of having healed and moved on. Again, think of that finish line analogy, that word picture I gave earlier. We make everything a race, right? We're very competitive, at least some of us. The problem is if we abide by this perspective, then we limit victory as only realized once we've crossed that finish line, even if it's one we can't define. So it's not just a hard finish line. It's, we have our idea of it, but it's a moving target. And it's a false moving target because it's like, have we really arrived? How do we know we've, <laughs> we've hit this point where, all right, I'm done. I'm done with the healing. My grief is over. My mourning is no more. It's out of me. I'm good to go. I've been cured. We're never cured. We're never the same again, like when we go through a traumatic life experience. For me and Liz, a lot of you watching this know that we lost a daughter uh, at 13 months last September. Her name was Jubilee. I'm writing a book about her life, 393-day fight in the NICU. Just in case this is maybe the first time you're hearing me, just know that that is the grief, like, my grief journey has, for, for this year, has been tied to that season. Uh, Juby born chronic lung disease, among other things. She was a micropremie born uh, in a, that condition that Liz had. It's uh, preeclampsia. She had preeclampsia August 3rd, 21, got the diagnosis. She was in the hospital, bedridden on the 13th, and then Juby was born on August 21st. So we're almost at her two-year birthday mark through Centennial and Vanderbilt and, you know, we, we fought the good fight with her and really she had no business surviving day one. <laughs> she had no business surviving day, I believe it was 80, when both of her lungs collapsed. She defied so many odds. In fact, it wasn't chronic lung disease that killed her, it was sepsis. But that's another story for another time. All that said, it's just the, the why, you know, just, I've had to, even as Juby was alive, I had to stiff arm the why all right, God, what are you trying to teach me? You have a purpose. This is, I know it. I'm not going to, as I cling to you, I know that there's purpose in this, but how is it you want to be glorified? Because that's the ultimate game. It's like I never lost track of that, left side of that. And let's say with her, you know, we're, there's a lot of human nature in this story. Um, and certainly didn't, I, I don't want to get off track here by getting too specific, but just know that we've, we're even, even now, we're journeying through the valley with God. We feel like we're in a shadow, but we're heading in the right direction. There's constant movement. As we'll, another point I'll get to, like we really feel like we're making progress because we, we feel the momentum of journeying with God as we recover. We've been intentional with community. We've been intentional in the Word. We've been praying together. Uh, 
we, we sort of gone by the book because we feel compelled to. Otherwise, we're going to collapse. We sense that if we don't press into the Almighty and, and tap at the divine on a daily basis, we're going to sink in some really serious, <laughs> some, some weight, some some quicksand that we can't recover in our own strength. And it's just like we, we want to cling to God as our help. So going back to the finish line mentality, again, it's like we we make recovery a race and it's just like and by doing so we assume like all right so i'll be here at this point here at this point here at this point it's not linear recovery is never linear it's it's very jagged it's unexpected there's going to be setbacks there's going to be times you're going backwards so you know i know the scriptural references to race but when it comes to a grief journey we got to think differently and just expect the unexpected a little bit if we're going to correct from this mindset, we have to adjust the past versus present participle than our thinking. For instance, while many of you breakthrough as a binary function, I, I okay, I'm, I'm healed, I'm not healed, I'm moved on, I have moved on. The truth is, we're already, we've already been set free. Message of the gospel in the New Testament. We've been set free. The blood of the Lamb, the power of, of Christ, and we've discovered... Rather, we're discovering day by day our new creation identity on top of our love by God identity. Love by God identity is really the foundation of who we are. Then the new creation comes on top of that. While the word says we've been purchased at a price, this doesn't mean we're going to hit a point in this life when we're officially complete. In the context of fullness, we're never going to be complete. And I say that with much enthusiasm. <laughs> Because it's just like, yes, I don't have to deal with the pressure of feeling like I need to be at a certain point when my time comes and I'm face-to-face -face with my Lord and Savior. We're never going to be complete in this life. We're being completed. We're being, um, you know, we're being made whole. We're progressing. We're advancing against the participle mentality. We're never going to be complete but we're in the process of being completed. We're completing, if you will. I know Matthew 5:48. you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus charges us to be perfect, but it's more of an aim, you know, pursue being perfected. Uh, no, like aim for that. Aim to be like me and do what I do. Aim to be like your maker. And yes, you will fail and you will fall down. Uh, but... It's all about like living from a, uh, from a victory mindset. I've talked about that in another one of my messages before. We could still operate and abide by the Spirit in victory, knowing what Christ has done on the cross, and that He will always have promises and purpose for us. It's part of our... It's really both of our love by God identity and our new creation identity, now that I think about it. But all of this matters because we can live and heal without the burden of feeling far from an end goal and the guilt of maybe setbacks that we may feel or anxiety or just apprehension the goal is jesus first and foremost let's let's make sure we're clear about that the goal is jesus and he's never far away being made like jesus and his again his pre his presence and promise his purposes being known to the world it's all about him being glory at the end of the day i i don't want to oversimplify and be and risk being insensitive but that we got to make sure we know at the 20,000 foot level that it's not about us being 
rid of our hurt and our pain. It's who we're becoming like amidst it and who we can, you know, in our call to, even as we're going through heck, you know, come, know who loves me. <laughs> That's, you know, this love is meant for you too. And the freedom is meant for you too. Um, his grace and his mercy is made for you too. Um, come walk with me, follow me as I follow him. We've had some unique, listen, I've had some unique experiences in which we've had a chance to do that with some people, some strangers who are now good friends. We've never would have been in those situations uh, had we not had an assignment, if you want. I mean, I really look at Juby's life as a gift, an asset. It was an assignment as well, among other things. And every day it's just like, I really feel like we passed more tests than, than we didn't pass. Um, and now Juby is the thumbnail to any endurance of perseverance that we show in this life, and that's powerful stuff. Um, I get more on that separately, but God is everything. And if you're a man or woman of faith, he has to be everything as such can't be detached from the promised land we're seeking. That's one of the danger and one of the key points I want to drive home is the promised land isn't I'm rid, I'm past the grief now. I'm now back where I could function in this way. I couldn't function before. I can now be in these social contexts, you know, in these communities, these circles that maybe you had to push the pause button on and now you're back in. Like I can do these things with a level head. Um, again, a lot of times it's just we make a journey back to normality, the end game, the end goal, the finish line. Uh, the promised land we're looking is just like, we got to know what our promised land is. We got to know what the giants are. We have to know how the journey looks and conquering those giants. Don't forsake or undermine God's oasis presence as you journey, but receive who he is as what sustains you and maintains momentum. Walking with us through the, shallow, the shadows, the valleys of life implies motion. However, we, we can't self-effort that motion and the emotion is part of that in a way that leads to where we want to go. We can't do it on our own. This is one of the main reasons why it took the Israelites 40 years in the wilderness, the promised land. They were never going to reach it with their attitude. They still wanted to get out of the woods they just created more woods for themselves because like they just didn't want, they wanted to get to where they were going. Um, they didn't want to have faith. They didn't want to rely on God to get there. Plain and simple. And God's like, all right, I'll show you what, it, how long it takes sometimes. Like you're going to take the ultimate scenic route. You're going to go in circles and you're going to around. You're going to know what it's like to be truly lost. I'm right here. You could have been found the whole time. For now, I encourage you to not make certain people and circumstances the enemy. The giants in the room, they are not worth the negative empowerment at the cost of your distrust. I mean that with all sincerity. Rather, if your grief is a race, I know we've kind of been shooting down the race metaphor a little bit, uh, but if you want to make grief a race, bring God into every leg of it, <laughs> okay? If it's a journey, if you'd rather just, you know, rather roll with that one. I know it's pretty broad, but bring him along as if he's in your backpack, your fanny pack, whatever. <laughs> the joy in walking with Jesus is what life's about. It's, you know, if you want to be changed, you want to be perfected, you want to be nurtured day by day, walk with Jesus. You can't happen any other way. 
God isn't just at the finish line waiting for you again. He's there with you, and we got to make sure we adjust and align to that truth. He's with you through the grieving, the mourning, ready to share these facets, um, fresh facets about who he is, his nature, his character, how much he loves you and how much, um, you know, he does have practical and sometimes advanced, but he has solutions for you. He won't unveil it all at once, but he is there to shine his light. That can look a lot of different ways. Hence, again, why we should see suffering as a gift more than anything else. All right, so we talked a little bit about Numbers 13. Uh, let's move along to Genesis 32. Let me just pull up the scripture because I might dive in and out of it uh, a little bit. Another fascinating Old Testament story to talk about, and I can't remember how I landed up here, but I'm really glad I stumbled upon it because, you know, oh, I know, it was kid. my kids were, it was a Sunday school lesson. And it just was like, huh, I haven't really read this part of Genesis in a while, so I got curious. I can't follow those white rabbits, people, uh, when you're in the word, dare to be curious. Um, so in the story, Jacob is looking for favor, blessing, in the heat of great stress and anxiety. Uh, if I recall correctly, just 31, you know, Laban is being Laban, doing Laban things. Deception, man. Laban ticks me off. I'll just say that. He's... Master in manipulation and betrayal, and he's he's kissing his grandchildren, but it's basically like, like Jacob, I don't trust you. You know, everything that you have is mine. Like the possessiveness of Laban, man, it just irks me to the core. But there's a send off, but kind of like conditional send off. It feels like Laban still feels like like I sense the hot fire being breathed out of Jacob's neck as he's leaving in Genesis 31. He's, you know, and then he's nervous about his next meeting with Esau. This was approaching Genesis 33, and I think it was Genesis 27, when Jacob steals Esau's birthright or deceives him into getting that from, from Esau. So they're not on good, you know, those brothers, man. Jacob and Esau are not on good terms here in verse 32. And, and so Jacob is squeezed, kind of pinpoint. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, he's feeling the heat from both sides here, Laban and Esau. And he's caught up in this bizarre series of deceptions with life on the line. And like, you know, it's again, like, well, what does is, what is grieving and suffering have to do with this? I'll tell you. Uh, like the griever, Jacob is desperate for assurance and blessing, the realization of comfort, and God being for him, not against him. Don't we all want that, especially when we're going through hard times, trials, tribulations? And when you're reading Genesis 32, the man just shows up out of nowhere. It's, it's without fail. It's like, when's the man going to show? Oh, wait, right there. He just kind of, he's pressing in. Uh, you're just like, did, did I miss a few lines? No, he just starts wrestling with the man. And I'm not here to unpack the whole chapter verse by verse, but I will say, I'm actually going to encourage you to read it, but just know there's a, it's a beautiful picture of how we should cling to Jesus when we're walking through trials and when we're journeying through grief on the back end of loss. Again, Jacob is in a, a precarious situation. He's overwhelmed by where he's at. And so, and he must know that this isn't just any ordinary, you know, an ordinary, an ordinary man. He knows that whoever this is has the power to do only what the Almighty can. So that's why I wish the scripture was a bit more enlightening as far as like, 
how did he process this? How did he know to ask, you know, to just cling to this guy and be like, bless me. But he knows. And really, again, the this is the type of wrestling we should all aspire to. There's a little bit of undercurrent tie-in between Numbers 13 and Genesis 32. Um, do we define the giants? The giants are the strongholds, the things that we tolerate, sins, even generational curses um, that keep us from pressing in. But ultimately, our journey through to the promised land, we have to wrestle. Like, wrestling is not an option. And, well, how do we wrestle? Well, let's look at, that's why, again, we're in Genesis 32. Jacob had everything to gain doing what he did in this story. There was always going to be a consequence to the wrestling, and this is one of my main points and really what, you know, one of the main reasons why I wanted to cut a vlog on this. A lot of times we read the wrestling and he got the blessing, but it doesn't stop there. He also got something else, and that was a limp. He got a limp. Literally and figuratively, Jacob was never going to walk the same way again for the glory of God. And I'm telling you, friends, there is rich application here for us if we allow it to seep in to the depths of our heartstrings. In the moment, wrestling with God is an intimate experience. I suppose it can be uncomfortable. Certainly in the wake of it, it can be uncomfortable at times. Spiritual growing pains, if you will. The epiphany, though, the epiphany is, again, pain being a gift, a gift that triumphs as part of that victory mindset where we have a new way of thinking. We have a default way to react when something goes wrong. You know, you have something that you can't just separate. You can't get a limp. You can't get that cramp out from underneath you. You're with it. And it's like a scar that has become an altar in your mind. You know, we all have those scars and the only way out of, you know, you're going to have those triggers and how do you get yourself out of a mental tailspin you know that that social anxiety or maybe it's a different type of anxiety swelling up and you your, your your mind is racing a million miles an hour and you're trying to get very overwhelmed to the point you feel like you're going to pass out it's a great way to still yourself is just to cling to jesus wrestle with them and you know when you're wrestling things kind of become more slowed down a little bit of you know your that momentum is everything is going into what you're wrestling against, pushing against. There's a natural slowing down that occurs. And we think of wrestling as like an aggressive exercise. We were like, oh, can I, can we get away with not doing that? Again, that's why we're talking about this chapter because this is a, this is the way to go about it. And so when we wrestle with God, it's again, we're being like, all right, I'm exchanging my wise for the what's in house. Like, okay, I, I don't understand what's going on in my life, but I'm going to trust that you have a purpose in it. Uh, and I trust that you're going to avail those purpose in the perfect time. For now, I just need to know how to love you, myself, my family, my friends. Like, I need to know how to be a conduit of your, of your nature to the world around me. I need to know how to persevere in the moment. You know, what element of you, like, you are the answer. So how can I translate a new revelation or a new perspective from you, or maybe it's one that I haven't thought about for a while. How do I get past this this fog or this trip up, this this setback, whatever? Taking thoughts captive can be a very 
is actually a great example, taking thoughts captive, a great example of wrestling. Think about it this way, as we bring this in for landing. Just as we limp when a bone is out of joint, to protect us from further damage, we limp when we lose an important person in our experience of significant life change, go through a traumatic experience. While limps come in various shapes and sizes and severities, depending on the person lost and or the importance of the situation, when we grieve the right way, our inner man is declaring, I need Jesus. I need my brokenness aligned amidst a broken world. Another way of looking at wrestling with God. And also the limp. When we grieve the wrong way, we declare that wrong is with God himself. And or the specific people and strongholds of all situations. We make the issue not about the principality, but the flesh and blood. We misappropriate. And I could be feeling our grief. When we grieve the right way, we declare that God is Lord over it all. That there are people as part of the problem, perhaps, but it's really the strongholds that bind them combined with the strongholds that bind us. How do we get past that? And forgiveness and repentance is a, you know, another part of how we contend here. We can take joy when we consider our grief mourning in the construct of Genesis 32. Knowing pain can help us not only reach for Jesus, but see him reflected in what we're going through. Our limp as an always present reality, keeping us humble and hopeful along the way. Keeping us humble and hopeful, our eyes locked on the prize that is him. So that's what I got tonight. Again, pain is a gift. Suffering is an asset to the kingdom. And it's all about giving God glory. So know that there is purpose in what you're going through. And again, not to oversimplify, but just keep your eyes on Jesus. Cling to him. Have that, um, you know, as Jacob did with the man in Genesis 32. Just take that approach when you're going through hell. Uh, Lord, anoint me. Anoint these steps. Give me strength. Just enough for another day to live, another day to contend for another day and to pray and just to believe in who you say you are and to, and to that people around me may know just how true, faithful, how awesome your love is, how extravagant your mercies and your grace, your power to provide, uh, to supernaturally heal. Even things of the miraculous, you know, that your power, among other things, will be known. Your sovereignty will be known through this heartache, this heartbreak where people aren't so drawn just to the story by itself, but that really it becomes a reflection to, all right, you know, I've been given all I need to be, I've been given all I need for goodness and godliness. I've been given all I need to trust God in the midst of hardship. So as those realities are manifesting in my own life, then perseverance and endurance becomes like a mirror pointing people to Jesus. How am I doing it? I'm not. Here's, here's the reason why we're making it through this season. And you can come to know that yourself. Suddenly your, you know, your testimony is a well living water. And there's like God providing the water for your oasis and people are just drawn to it. Like they're thirsty and a little bit of John four here, but anyway, that's all I got for tonight. I uh, hope you learned something, uh, something about these two stories. Uh, minister to your heart. Again, talk about the applications. 
Uh, I want to continue marinating this a little bit more, but just grief being a limp is somewhat new, and I want to, you know, our, our processing through grief being a limp, and also uh, just how we wrestle with God and miss trials, how we view the giants in our life when we're journeying through the promised land, but doing what the promised land did as well. Um, all of this is hot off the press, fresh meat on the grill. So I'll post, if anything, if I watch the replay of this and I'm like, anything's I left out anything, I'll post it in the notes on the blog post. But otherwise, thanks you guys for listening and uh, we'll have a fourth installment at some point in the next month or so. So as always, I'll catch you on the fry. Have a good one. Peace. Peace.